Joanne Ozug, and you are listening to The Road to Carnivore, Episode 4. In this episode, we are going to talk about the fact that plants are trying to poison you. This may sound dramatic or crazy to you right now. We live in a time where the popular narrative in food is that plants are the healthiest thing we can eat. But plants have toxins and poisons. This is a fact of botanical science. Plants don't want animals or bugs or creatures like us to eat them, and they produce a variety of defense compounds that are meant to reduce the chance of them being eaten because plants want to survive and reproduce just like every other living thing on the planet. Some of the foods that are regarded as the most healthy, like broccoli, spinach, turmeric, or Brussels sprouts, have some of the highest quantities of plant poisons among the foods we eat. And what's been really interesting to see is that totally outside of carnivore, I've noticed more and more awareness around plant toxins and more and more diets are rising that seek to avoid these toxins, such as autoimmune protocol, the low oxalate diet, and the lectin-free diet. We'll talk more about oxalates and lectins in a minute, but what I'm trying to point out here is that it's becoming more well-known that plants have toxins that damage the body in varying degrees. The best way to begin understanding this idea that plants make poison is to understand what medicine is. Medicine is poison that we have figured out how to properly use to our benefit. We figured out how individual compounds affect our bodies and what the appropriate doses are, exactly how much to use without getting adverse effects. Most medicines are derived from plants. They are the oldest source that humans have used, and there are tons and tons of different compounds that plants make. I want you to think about when do you actually take medicine? You only use medicine when you're sick when something in your body function is not normal, like maybe you have a fever and your temperature is out of the normal range. A very common thing to do when you have a fever is to take a medicine that is specifically known to reduce body temperature, and you are advised to take it in a particular dose that is appropriate for you. One of the most widely used medicines is aspirin. It's used for reducing fever, but also for pain relief, swelling, and numerous other ailments. Aspirin is now synthesized in a lab, but its precursors were historically derived from the bark of willow trees. Aspirin has a long history, and willow bark was used by ancient Egyptians, Romans, and Greeks dating back to 3,500 years ago. It's pretty amazing that we can get medicines from plants that help us in specific circumstances. But the key to remember here is that the plants made these compounds with the intention of harming whatever ate them. The willow tree is not making this chemical so you can get your fear taken care of. It's making it to mess up your temperature regulation. And we selectively choose to consume it at a time when you want to bring your temperature down. Now I want to get into some specifics and share a few of the most common plant toxins in our food and what some of the most toxic plants are that we eat. The next 10 minutes are going to be a little more science heavy, but these are important details. I'm not sharing them just to share them or spout off fun facts about plants. I want you to think back to the french fries example I shared in the very first episode. People generally know french fries are not healthy, but having only a vague sense that french fries are unhealthy is not compelling enough motivation to not eat them. It's not specific enough. People say it's bad, but who and why and how? How is it bad? Surely it can't matter once in a while. But knowing the inflammation the oils cause the damage they do to my metabolic health, the carcinogenic and cytotoxic nature of the frying oils, the nightshade compounds in the potatoes, all of those details are what motivates me to choose not to eat them. I am totally allowed to eat them and eat as many as I want. It's not restriction, 
but rather understanding the specifics and being informed personally makes me not interested. No matter what choice you make, these choices are best made from a place of being informed. So similarly here, if I just told you that plants have toxins that damage the body, what does that mean? That's not compelling. Knowing specifics about these compounds, knowing the science and mechanisms of how it affects the body is what's eye-opening and motivating to actually shift your thinking and the choices you make. Okay, so let's dive into some of the most common plant defense compounds. I'm going to talk about each of these briefly, but I encourage you to do more of your own research around these. There's tons of information on plant toxins totally unrelated to carnivore. What I like about carnivore as a way of eating is you don't have to worry about plant toxins because you don't eat plants. But there's a good chance that maybe full carnivore would be unimaginable right now. So maybe you focus on eating a lot of meats and include small amounts of the plants that are lowest in toxins. Let's start with oxalates. Oxalates are a toxic compound that look like these microscopic needles or thin shards of glass. I actually recommend getting online and looking at a picture of them because they embed in your soft tissues and you can see why they're trouble just by looking at them. There are a lot of problems with oxalates, but the most well-known problem is that high oxalate consumption is believed to cause kidney stones in people. Oxalates take minerals from your body and bind to them, and crystals begin to build up and form a stone that the body tries to pass through the urine, which is extremely painful from what I hear from the people I know who've had kidney stones. Everyone I know who has gone to the ER for kidney stones was sent home with a list of high oxalate foods to avoid eating. This is a compound that you don't want to be eating high amounts of all the time. What's crazy is anecdotally, people who have detoxed quickly after consuming large amounts of oxalates from green juice cleanses and turmeric supplements and other high oxalate foods have had these sharp oxalate crystals actually come out of their skin. The body can't break down oxalates, so it has to be pushed out or eliminated from the body in some way. Oxalates are also thought to cause mitochondrial damage, inflammation, connective tissue damage, kidney damage, and gut damage. They're really like these little daggers within your body, and they cause a lot of trouble. You may remember from the last episode, I talked about how spinach is high in iron and calcium, but that only very small amounts are actually absorbed because of oxalates. And that's another problem with oxalates is that they take away available minerals from the body. Some of the highest oxalate foods are wheat, beans, spinach, turmeric, nuts, chocolate, and potatoes. If you've ever done a green juice cleanse, a lot of those are basically oxalate juice. Even if you don't do full carnivore and want to keep eating plants, I recommend researching what the low oxalate and high oxalate foods are and trying to limit the consumption of the high oxalate plants. Next up, we have lectins. You may think that you're not familiar with lectins, but you probably are. Gluten is a type of lectin and probably the most well-known one. Lectins are proteins that are very difficult for the gut to break down. This is true of gluten. It's nearly impossible for your stomach acid to break it down, so it ends up undigested in your gut and causes damage and leaky gut, which is believed to contribute to autoimmune disease. There's an interesting study I linked to where the researchers had four groups of people, diagnosed celiacs, celiacs in remission, non-celiacs with gluten sensitivity, and people who were considered completely normal. And every group had an increase in markers of leaky gut and inflammation when exposed to gliadin, which is a component of gluten. A lot of doctors and specialists in this line of work believe that gluten is doing small amounts of damage to everyone every time you eat it. And every time, you're creating more of a likelihood of ending up with severe leaky gut and inflammation long-term. 
Gluten is a fairly specific protein that's only in some grains, but lectins as a general group are more widespread. Most plants have lectins, and the way that lectins cause trouble is they resist digestion in the stomach and then stick to cell membranes in the intestine. This prevents those cells from being able to function properly and make repairs, and it starts to reduce the integrity of your intestinal barrier and trigger autoimmune reactions. It also causes inflammation of the gut. Lectins also interfere with mineral absorption, particularly with calcium, iron, phosphorus, and zinc. Just like most anti-nutrients, they're stealing away minerals from your body so that you can't absorb them. Some of the high lectin foods are grains, beans, and several nightshade plants like potatoes, peppers, and tomatoes. Next up, phytic acid. The main issue with phytic acid is that it reduces the absorption of important minerals in the body, like calcium, iron, magnesium, and zinc. And nutrient deficiencies lead to all sorts of problems like anemia, muscle cramps, fatigue, a weakened immune system, and many other impairments of function for your body. There's an awesome passage I want to read to you from Dr. Paul Saladino's book, The Carnivore Code, where he talks about phytic acid. Oysters are the richest known food source of zinc, and when eaten alone, produce large increases in plasma zinc within two to three hours of ingestion. In contrast, when researchers added beans or tortillas, absorption of zinc was significantly impaired. Both beans and tortillas are foods known to possess high concentrations of phytic acid. When black beans were combined with tortillas, plasma levels of zinc decreased to one-third of the normal amount. And when tortillas were consumed, they completely inhibited zinc absorption. A similar pattern is observed for magnesium and calcium, with significantly decreased absorption of these important minerals when eaten with high oxalate-contained vegetables like spinach. This points back to the last episode when I talked about nutrition and how when you eat certain plant foods, you're typically not absorbing as many nutrients as you think you are because of anti-nutrients. But what is so key about this passage from Dr. Saladino's book is that the plant foods here block the goodness and nutrients from the oysters. And this is one of the arguments for a way of eating like carnivore is you're getting so many nutrients from animal foods and you don't have plant compounds blocking absorption. Some of the high phytic acid foods are seeds, nuts, legumes, spinach, and grains. Moving on, let's talk about glucosinolates. These are found in cruciferous vegetables, so plants like broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, and cauliflower. These used to be some of my favorites to eat back when I thought vegetables were healthy. And glucosinolates prevent the absorption of iodine. Iodine is a really important nutrient. Your body needs iodine to make thyroid hormones, which play a major role in metabolism and help regulate a ton of different body functions. Totally unrelated to carnivore, there are diets that focus on a proper iodine protocol. Glucosinolates, by blocking iodine absorption, interfere with your thyroid function, and a lack of iodine can cause goiters. You can Google a picture of that, but it's when your thyroid becomes abnormally enlarged and it can make it difficult to swallow and breathe in severe cases. So beware of the cauliflower everything trend that's been huge in food the past couple years. Everything is about cauliflower rice and cauliflower pizza crust and cauliflower gnocchi. And sure, cauliflower rice is lower carb than regular rice, but it's got other problems. And you know a food that's even lower in carbs? Meat. Glorious meat. Another issue with cruciferous vegetables is by chewing up some of the compounds in them, they combine to create toxins called isothiocyanates. I mentioned one of these in the introduction, sulforaphane, which is formed when you chew up broccoli, and it's been shown to damage mitochondria and cell membranes. Next up, let's talk about polyphenols. 
This is another class of compounds that plants make to cause damage. You may have heard of polyphenols before. The health media loves to tout benefits from polyphenols. But this is one of those examples of what I was talking about in the introduction, where it's not the full picture. It's just cherry picking a few things that are supposedly good, but there are risks too. I've linked to a great paper from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition called Risks and Safety of Polyphenol Consumption. And they list the hazards related to polyphenols. They list carcinogenic or genotoxic effects, carcinogenic meaning cancer-causing and genotoxic meaning it damages your DNA and can cause mutations in cancer, thyroid toxicity, estrogenic activity of isoflavones, we're going to talk about that in a second, anti-nutritional effects, and interactions with pharmaceuticals. There are a bunch of different types of polyphenols, but flavonoids are one example that is known as a group to be endocrine disruptors, meaning they interfere with your hormone system. A really well-known flavonoid that is known to have estrogenic effects is isoflavones. Isoflavones are meant to disrupt the reproductive cycle of whatever creature eats it. Because it mimics estrogen, it affects the body's natural production of hormones and your endocrine function. Soy is very high in isoflavones, and it's pretty well known that soy causes problems for people, and especially men. I want to read another excerpt from Dr. Saladino's Carnivore Code book. In a study of estrogen receptor binding by flavonoid molecules, the authors state, numerous reports have implicated flavonoid phytochemical as possessing hormone-disrupting activity, in particular acting as environmental estrogens. The endocrine-disrupting effects of flavonoids are seen in examples of sheep grazing on flavonoid-rich clover, and cheetahs-fed soy-rich diets have presented with infertility, reproductive abnormalities, and tumors. He then says, the isoflavones in soy are also well-known endocrine disruptors in both humans and animals. In men, consumption of soy is associated with increased rates of infertility and poor sperm quality. Flavonoid compounds are found in teas, coffee, chocolate, citrus, and many fruits and vegetables. To round out this episode, we're going to talk about glycoalkaloids. These are neurotoxins, which means they're poisons that destroy your nerve tissue but they also inhibit enzyme function and destroy cell membranes. One well-known glycoalkaloid is solanine, which is found in nightshade plants like potatoes, tomatoes, peppers, and eggplant. And I've linked to an in-depth paper that goes over the mechanisms for how solanine facilitates programmed cell death, which is called apoptosis. Glycoalkaloids can rupture the membranes of your mitochondria and red blood cells, and they also damage the integrity of your gut, even in small amounts. I want to read you a short section from a volume in a reference series called Comprehensive Natural Products 2, where the authors discuss solanine. They say, Solanine is a bitter-tasting steroidal alkaloid saponin that has been isolated from all nightshades, including tomatoes, capsicum, tobacco, and eggplant. However, the most widely ingested solanine is from the consumption of potatoes. Potato leaves, stems, and shoots are naturally high in the saponin. When potato tubers are exposed to light, they turn green and increase saponin production. This is a natural defense mechanism to prevent the uncovered tuber from being eaten. It is very toxic, even in small quantities. The poisoning is primarily manifested by gastrointestinal and neurological disorders. Symptoms include nausea, diarrhea, vomiting, stomach cramps, burning of the throat, heart arrhythmia, headache, and dizziness. Hallucinations, loss of sensation, paralysis, fever, jaundice, dilated pupils, and hypothermia have been reported in more severe cases. And if you want to read about some of those severe cases, there's an article I've linked to in the Smithsonian Magazine called Horrific Tales of Potatoes That Cause Mass Sickness and Even Death. And they give examples of when people experience reactions like hallucinations, 
extreme vomiting, and death from solanine poisoning. The nightshade plants I mentioned, like potatoes, tomatoes, eggplant, and peppers, have glycoalkaloids, but there are also small amounts in beets, apples, and cherries. So as you might guess, there are even more toxic compounds in plants than the handful I mentioned in this episode. But the big takeaway here is that plants aren't harmless. They are full of compounds that have a big impact on pretty much every important system in your body. Some of these effects you can feel right away if it manifests as nausea or a burning of your throat from eating nightshades, let's say. But a lot of these effects are happening at a cellular level over and over again over a long period of time. And this is why the plant-based health narrative really doesn't sit well with me. Because the time in my life when I was most sick was when I was eating the most plants. The majority of what I ate was vegetables. And eliminating plants has made chronic health issues of mine completely go away and stay away so long as I eat mostly meat. And it really starts to make sense when you understand some of these fundamentals around plants. Plants do not want to be eaten. They are trying to poison you. And they are full of toxins that dysregulate and damage our bodies when we eat them. Thank you for listening to The Road to Carnivore. Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you can receive new episodes. See you next time.